Hale Varsity Radio every weekday afternoon from 4 to 6 p.m. On Thursday, show from counterread.com, Brandon Vogel, former Colorado football head coach Gary Barnett, and staff writer for The Athletic, Mitch Sherman, that and more. Hale Varsity Radio is the best sports talk radio show around. Chris Schmidt and Elijah Herbal have you covered every weekday, 4 to 6 p.m. with Hale Varsity Radio. You're listening to Hurt at Sports Radio. Here is Husker 24-7 senior writer, Brian Christofferson. Yeah, it'll, it'll be a little bit of a circus act. Brian Christofferson. Well, I mean, that's that's pretty interesting. Brian Christofferson. <laughs> I, I kind of enjoy that. Here is Brian Christofferson. Yeah, there's years where it's, it's hard, and you got a lot of individuals, and you got a lot of situations of people, you know, just playing time and roles and stuff, and it just kind of fights off each other, and it's not always fun uh this is a group that you know these kids just want to win and literally they don't care like Heinrich doesn't care if he throws a ball right as long as we have more points than the other team and it puts w on the left side of the column instead of l that's all we care about and when you have a group of coaches and a group of players like that it's really cool to to be a part of and it's fun to come to work Kicking off hour number two here on Herd at Sports Radio. I'm Ravi Lula. Andrew Rogers here with me. And we are joined now by Brian Christofferson of Husker 24-7. BC, BC. how are you doing this morning? Doing pretty good. How are you guys? Oh, we're just good. living the dream Dandy. out here. We're doing great. How uh, how was your bye week? How did you spend your, your free time away from Nebraska football? Uh, I went up to Minnesota for a bit. I watched the Twins Astros game four. Um, that we don't got to get into that. No, no, <laughs> most of the audience doesn't care. My guys lost. Astros moved on, but the Astros are losing now, getting it from the Rangers. So uh, that's okay with me. BC, we just got done talking a little bit about um, you know the quarterbacks. Well, beyond with with Casey Thompson, but before that, we were talking. A little bit about Jeff Sims and the new role that he's kind of in now and how that was kind of like finally talked about, right? We saw it on the sidelines. We saw how happy he was for Harburg and moments throughout the game, but nobody really ever got to like the nitty-gritty details of what Jeff Sims has become. How hard do you think it was for him to be the guy coming in here, getting the single-digit number? Everybody was like, Jeff Sims is our hero to now having to be in in the passenger seat to your backup, but still hold the level of maturity he's had yeah. to be able to be the ultimate teammate on the sideline. Yeah, first off, I'm sure it's extremely difficult if you're a competitor like that. And, um, you know, he came here on a mission. I remember he was at Big Ten Media Days, and he was talking about how he had tried so hard to learn everybody's name. Remember that? He was putting stuff on the uh, – he was he was uh, going home and doing his, you know, research on guys' names so that he could – when he'd see him in the hall, he would know all the new guys on his team. He's a guy who really adapted well to the locker room. Guys respect him. And you got to give him a lot of credit for – at a time where some people would have hung their heads um, and sort of checked out, he hasn't. And, you know, there's still football in his career ahead. Um, I know we didn't see the best so far of him at Nebraska, but we don't know what's around the corner, even in this season. We've seen a lot of years at 
this program where uh, Nebraska needs two or three or four quarterbacks before this thing's over. And so uh, he very well could get called on in the second half of the season. And the fact that he's still dialed in and behaving, you know, basically like a captain um, says a lot about his character. And it also says he's, you know, he's probably ready if he, if he gets that moment. And um, I know this, the fans are going to see that they're going to read those quotes about him and they're going to uh, want him to succeed you know, for obvious reasons, because he's a Husker, but there's going to be that added oomph if he gets back into the game, like, let's do this, you know? So um, he's probably won a lot of fans just by the way he's handled uh, a tough situation, because that's where you obviously learn a lot about people. BC, uh, you know, we were talking earlier, Andrew and I were, about how maybe when Coach Rule was talking about Jeff Sims as his guy and, like, they went out and found a guy that they – really wanted like how much do you think maybe that had to do with his just kind of mindset and, and character as opposed to his skill set which obviously there's there's a a, de- a, a a huge amount of talent there but I, I mean did we maybe overlook that other part um it's possible I mean th- definitely I think that was an attractive quality to bringing Jeff Sims in they knew uh what type of guy you're adding to the locker room and beyond that he has high-level traits as a QB. Mm-hmm. Now uh, he's got to level su- stuff off with the you know the turnovers and all those things. We all understand that. Um, but he's got really good arm talent. Uh, he can. Be, I think he um, is a guy who really loves to study the game a lot, and they like that part about him. So they, there were all these traits you kind of stacked on top of one another, and you're like, yeah, that's going to work, I think. And um, it didn't for two games, and it was a. Uh, it was a, you know, it was about as rough as it could go from the turnover department. And, you know, this is what happens in sports. Sometimes another guy comes in, um, you know, Heinrich, I think, uh, got a little benefit of playing non power five teams, those first two starts. So it was probably a little bit easier entrance into the water for him than it was for Sims with those two road games. But nonetheless, Heinrich has run with the opportunity. And I think people listen to Satterfield the other day sort of heard the reasoning for it beyond, you know, just the turnovers. You know, right now this is an offense that um, very run heavy, um, needs a lot out of that QB in the run game. Obviously Sims can do that, but Heinrich is a very physical dude who we've heard a lot about in that category all through the offseason. We've seen it now in games where he'll run over and truck a defensive back and things like that. He just kind of fits with this grinder style they've got with this particular team, I think right now um, where you don't want to mess that up when you feel like, okay, you've won three out of the last four. Let's see if we can carry this forward now. BC, three new black shirts um, talked about yesterday, Butler, Sanford, and Henrich. Uh, We also know there are 12 now. So who gets the boot come game day? Oh, I don't, I don't know if they will or won't. I don't know if they're going to just like hold tight to 11. You know, I, th- I think it's basically 11 or 12 is what it's going to be. Um, you know, more or less on this case, Reimer, of course, had a very unusual situation where it was, it was kind of non-football related with the MRSA infection and uh, which crept up um, and caused him to miss the Illinois game. So I, I think they thought it wasn't really fair to take it away. Um, but, but, you know, basically... I like how they're doing it now. It, it's taken the fuss out of it. You know, it feels like around here too often I've we've covered teams where, um, you know, it's like, oh, this guy uh, got it removed because of this reason or are they going to keep 
all of them or they're going to have 16 of them all year. They're not playing like black shirts. You'd get that kind of talk during a season. They actually are playing like black shirts and they've just simplified it to a way it has been done in the past, but not as much recently where it's like, are you starting Saturday? Okay. You get the black jersey this week. It's easy to identify you. And I think I just like that. And I, I also feel like I love the black shirts tradition. Anyone who knows me knows I love the history of Husker football and all that's associated with it. But I also thought it got over the top in its production of like how it was sometimes hand, handed out and it would just become too big of like a social media creation and, and some of that stuff. And it kind of took away from it. And I like that this year, for the most part, uh, we've steered clear of that. It's kind of been a behind the scenes like guys are honored to have it. Um, but we're not going to put this in front of everybody's face. Let's just go play like it and earn that tag back more by the what, the style you have on the field. And I think that's what they've been doing right now. Yeah, I mean, ironically enough, you could make an argument that this is one of the few teams where you could give black shirts to 16 or 20 guys that they actually deserve. Yeah, yeah that's the funny <laughs> part. Yeah, you really could um, uh, because they actually rotated that, that uh, a number that this year. I mean, I was looking at the stats the other day. There's eight linebackers who have played 122 or more snaps. And, you know, that's a neat storyline because I've heard talk of rotating for so long Mm -hmm. covering this team. And it's actually it's actually happening, but they're not rotating for rotating sake either. They're actually putting guys in who can do the job. And I think the biggest compliment I can give them, Robbie, is, you know, when the like, let's say like the fifth or sixth guy comes in at a position, I'm not seeing a major drop off the ledge compared to like the second guy. Like sometimes you don't notice. I mean, the fact that Reimer was out against Illinois and Nick Henrich goes out, plays the best game of his season, maybe his career, two fourth down stops. John Bullock had a nice night. You know, you just didn't notice it as much. And that's a, that's a credit to, you know, guys being ready for their number to be called and kind of goes back to the Sims question. If he, if he can be ready now, if he gets called at some point. Yeah. BC, you, you mentioned the linebackers. It's kind of the true, the same thing on the defensive line though, as well. And I mean, you can make the argument it's true at all three levels of the defense. You know, we saw Ty Robinson out for the first half of a game and Nash up mocker is kind of emerges on the scene. You see guys moving around and, you know, going from that Jack spot to an end spot. And I mean, you know, half the time I don't even notice when somebody important's not out there because the defense, like you said, there's really no drop off. Yeah, and I'm not noticing sometimes when guys switch technically what they're doing within the defense. That might maybe it's just my lack of football IQ. But uh, for example, you know, this week uh, rules talking about like chief borders and mm-hmm. accepting like playing more D line and stuff like that. And sometimes the way they move them around, it's like, okay, he's D line compared to Jack. I like, I don't even pick it up during the game. Cause they're just, they move around so mm-hmm. much mm-hmm. Um, that it's not that noticeable. And that's a, that's a compliment. Um, I think that's happening with Jamari Butler. He's a guy who's been moved around. And if there's one guy I'm really fired up about for this second half, and I just hope it takes off. It's Jamari Butler because I've written probably, you know, 30 stories about that guy um, (laughs) over three or four years. And they've all kind of been the same about he's building, he's building to something. He was a raw player when he came in. It's just around the corner. We might've just turned around the corner against Illinois. Let's see. But he had a great game, played 56 snaps, one and a half sacks, could have had more, honestly. Um, 
they need somebody like that. If he can er- disrupt at another level, that, that changes the defense even more. BC, turn around for me. I want to see Butler written on the back of your shirt there like a jersey. Because uh, it doesn't shock me that you've been all over that guy. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't have it written on this uh, on this particular shirt. Uh, that one's in the wash right now. Oh, okay, but, uh, I, fair I, enough. I, I do have a couple. Yeah. BC, so uh, the Huskers open as a double-digit favorite against Northwestern. And uh, it's, it's kind of crazy to think that one of these teams after Saturday will be four and three. So uh, a two-part question for you. Do you think, for one, that the line is spot on if Ben Bryant doesn't play? And two, Mm. what do you think are the keys to cleaning up on the field in order to have a so-called unanimously acclaimed successful second half of the season? Yeah. Uh, First off, the spread – uh, that seems about right to me. Uh, you know, I, I know you get a few points for being at home sometimes. And, um, you know, I, I I think this Nebraska team with its defense, the way it's playing right now, is going to be very tough to score on in a game like Saturday's. It maybe we'll be surprised that sometimes you say stuff like that and you end up watching a 31-28 <laughs> game. I'm not really expecting that. But I think the black shirts have a pretty good grip on things. Uh, before I get to the second part of your question, one of the reasons I think that it goes back to what Tony White was talking about the other day was that goal line stand, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I, 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 they had juice, but then there was just that added momentum that came from that where he talked about it, it was like it was a real belief on the sideline, like, all right, let's go play the rest of the night. We're stopping them. And can something like that even carry over into further games where you've had that moment where you, you know, sometimes it, we we overdo it with like turning point like trying to find that flash of lightning in a season but for this defense that was already pretty good is that the moment they took it to another level let's see um you know going forward though for the second half that's a big part of it but then the offense of course it's just can they limit um the unforced errors you know they're not going to be a dynamic offense at this point but if they are a unit that can just not fumble exchanges, um, have false starts, you know, that that derail drives in the red zone, um, you know, I think they've scored touchdowns on only nine of 18 trips to the red zone. First off, that's not enough trips inside the red zone. Secondly, that's a really bad touchdown percentage. <laughs> and they've, they've only scored a scored at all 12 of the 18 times so stuff like that is going to be the difference of like you know you know winning these next two games and then when you get to like wisconsin and iowa at that point when we cross that bridge it's going to come down to on those particular days i think can nebraska's special teams rise up too and match like really great you know teams at that phase of the game and um at least equalize that and not have the field position be a big disadvantage. So field position and all that stuff's really going to be critical the rest of the way. And just like playing smart, better complementary football than all your uh, opponents, because they're not going to be pretty games. They're not going to be the games. If you're flipping by and you're an impartial observer of college football, where you're going to want to necessarily stay on it. That doesn't matter for Nebraska football right now. They have to find a way to win games. Like they won at Illinois, move on, get those bowl practices, and all the development time that comes with it. That's really what it's about. We're talking with Brian Christopherson, a Husker 24-7. Uh, Brian, could I make the argument that for the team as a whole, 
it was actually really important to have a game where they did have as many errors as they did against Illinois and still come out with a win because it kind of got to the feeling around here, and a lot of these guys are, are on the team from the last couple years, where if it felt like if anything went wrong, like they, they just did not have it in them to overcome it and win a game. Whereas if, at Illinois, a lot of things went wrong, right? And mm-hmm. they had, what, two fumbles in the red zone, three red zone trips without scores. Like they really did not do themselves any favors, especially late, and still found a way to win. Could that for the team almost be the same type of sort of proof of concept moment that that goal line stand was for the defense? Yeah, it, it might be. Um, you know, especially on the defensive side where you realize, like, we can we can put out this fire. You know, we've mm-hmm. done it before. Like, let's just keep doing it. And I will have to say that was a game where it was – there were moments where you're like, oh, man, are they somehow going to lose this thing when it seemed impossible to do such a thing? Mm-hmm. There, I had that – passing thought once or twice but I have to say I didn't have it as strongly as I have other times because it just did feel like the defense was like so in control of that game and they just weren't going to break and so to yeah to actually go out and do it to not wilt I think it's good for that side of the ball for the offense it's hopefully a lot of teaching tape I know there was a discussion about if Illinois was in helping and inflict some of those false starts and bad officiating all that stuff but you got to know going forward teams are going to try to test that, you know, they're going to make you prove you can clean that up. So we need to see that from this offensive line. And, um, you know, we need to see uh, a group that's just a little more dialed in on that side of the ball. But um, it, it was a team win at the end of the day. And I, I, I think as much as us, uh, you know, the, on the outside, we we're like, oh, the defense played great. The offense was kind of a clunker. I get the sense inside the walls it's not very much like that, and that's a that's a good thing for them to have, you know, where it's, there's an understanding of strengths and weaknesses, but also you're in it together, you're playing off of each other, and uh, you just got to pick uh, somebody up if they make a mistake. So that's a, that's a good thing when your team's behaving in that way. BC, what do you uh, what do you think about the progress uh, of Tristan Alvano since the start of the season? You know, being a freshman kicker, a true freshman coming in, got to be a little bit nerve wracking, uh, adjusting from high school to college, especially when you co- come in as an in-state recruit. But he he went 0 for 3 on his first set of field goals, and then he, he got a little more comfortable in the 30 to 39 yard range against Illinois. Where do you see his freshman career going the rest of the way? Yeah, I don't I don't know for sure where it's going to go. It's a kicker's such a hard position to just like feel like okay, he he made that one. He's definitely going to make the next one. I, because they always say, you know, you're only as good as your last kick. It's like it, all of our jobs really, I guess. You're only as good as your last segment or your <laughs> last story sort of thing. But it can't hurt that he saw a couple go through last game. And the third one that he missed, um uh, you know, it was kind of a tricky hold. It didn't feel like mm-hmm. it was uh, like ideal for him. So maybe there's a escape clause on that one for missing it. Um, Michael Bruns, my coworker, talked to him after the game, and he was pretty confident about um, like making those kicks and what it meant going forward. So I, I think he was looking for a game where he made multiple kicks, got a little momentum and uh, was feeling good about things. And, you know, I think it's going to be a big deal 
when he can have that like 45 yarder, the little longer kick and he, it goes through that one to me might be the one that really like, okay, we're going, we're going uh, with the wind behind the back now type of kick. So hopefully he gets that soon. And uh, if it comes in a big moment, ideally maybe like the end of the first half though, you know, like yeah. you, get that, you get that warm up where you hit it with four seconds left in the first half and it's not to walk off the game or something like that. That would be a nice like uh, transition into making those kind of kicks. Yeah, Cause he has plenty of leg. Oh, Every yeah. time he boots the ball, there's yeah. plenty of leg. It just comes down to finding uh, in between the goalposts finding his spot in between the goalposts. But yeah, I, I kind of I kind of sit here and agree with you too until that big kick is made because he is a big kick guy. That mm-hmm. that's his confidence level is always brewed on being able to make that big kick. So once he sees it go through, like I'm in agreement there. I, I think that's a good call BC. I think he's going to be all right and I like that the staff um, didn't get, do anything hasty. Uh, I know, I really. think that's a huge point too, not to just like just cut the rope right then and there and be Especially like, okay, when we're you done. have another option. I mm-hmm. mean, yeah. I mean, they're, they're working through a lot of things that rules kind of said this a few weeks ago. It's like, well, Tristan's got to work on his part. Everybody's got to work on their thing. If you look at how some things are going. So, um, it was, it was just a deal where you say, all right, it hasn't gone well. Let, let's keep working on this on practice. And, um, you know, the, he's obviously, got it in his skill set to be a great kicker here and I, I think he will be over time it, it it it's not easy to adjust to this level and all the pressure that goes with it it's just a different game and uh um if if he can find his rhythm at the end of this season uh, like a lot of guys that's sort of what we're that's the fun part of where we're at now guys can build and use this as a trampoline into 2024 too so that that's what we're watching here as we go in, into the second half BC, looking at the Northwestern game, I know they're 3-3. Three and three. I know that Nebraska can't really afford to mark down wins against anyone, but this is a game Nebraska really has to win, right? Like, there's no, on paper or on the field, there's really no reason for them to lose this game, right? It Well, yeah. I mean, it, it's definitely not a given, as anyone around here knows, but it's it's, when you look at the slate in front of Nebraska and getting the six seven wins whatever it's going to be yeah get this one please you know for the sake of sanity around here um you know there there's an opportunity this week and next week frankly to, mm-hmm. to make november pretty pretty interesting around here and i'm not talking about west division titles and stuff like that if we get to that with on november 15th and we have those type of discussions where nebraska needs this to happen or that to happen that'll be fun too but right now um, they they do have to take the approach on any given week, you're going to have to scrap like heck to get mm-hmm. a win. And I think that's the way they're taking it. Um, Rule had that comment this week. It kind of flew by, but it was like, you know, some teams have that uh, ability where they can have two, three or four games where they really have to be up because they have that type of talent where they can survive the other eight weeks or whatever. He said here right now, Every week you got to be up to you got to be up to beat Northern Illinois. You got to be up to beat Louisiana Tech and Northwestern. So that's the way they have to look at it. But yeah, Robbie, I mean they got they got to get this one from the outside looking in um, because you got a little momentum right now. You're mm-hmm. feeling good coming out of the bye. This fan base is at least sitting up in their seat. I think it was a pretty bummed out uh, Husker fan. Uh, base after Michigan, even though that was sort of an expected loss, the way it happened, people are like, man, what's going on? Like, it's tough to spend three hours over there watching that. 
And so they got people back a little bit with the win. Now in their front of their home fans, you got to go get it done. And, you know, all those people are taking their whole day to watch it. Make it worth their while, you know. I think you got – that's a big part of this too. Brian Christopherson, Husker 24-7. BC, we appreciate your time. We'll talk to you again next week. Yep, thanks, guys. Thanks, BC. That's Brian Christopherson. Before we head to break, I want to tell you about our friends over at Big Brothers Big Sisters. It's their mission to support one-to-one mentoring relationships that ignite the power and promise of youth. Go to MentorOmaha.org to sign up and become a big or to donate. You know who would be a great big? Who's that? Jeff Sims. Jeff Sims would be a great big. Uh, Go to MentorOmaha.org to become a big. More Herd at Sports Radio coming up next. Hail Varsity Radio, every weekday afternoon from 4 to 6 p.m. On Thursday, show from counterread.com, Brandon Vogel, former Colorado football head coach Gary Barnett, and staff writer for The Athletic, Mitch Sherman, that and more. Hail Varsity Radio is the best sports talk radio show around. Chris Schmidt and Elijah Herbal have you covered every weekday, 4 to 6 p.m. with Hail Varsity Radio.